I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald, opening the show so that I can congratulate Mike Sielski and David Murphy on being named among the top five sports columnists in the country by the Associated Press Sports Editors. I will get out of the way in a moment and let them talk. Uh, Les Bowen is also here, who was not among the top five, but is among the top five people to appear on this podcast in its relatively short history, because I think there have only been five total <laughs> or so. He's also top undisputed number one, I think. Of, if, of people of, to appear on this podcast. Okay, yeah, that's fine with me. But you know, anyway, it's a low bar. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it would less would eclipse even a high bar. But he would. He would. I'm I'm a in a moment bar. going to give the mic that I'm holding to Les so that he can talk. Uh, but before I do, I'm going to say two words to set Dave off, as I like to do. Uh, and those two words complete a name when you put them together, and that name is Sam Bradford. All right, but before we get to Sam. Let's talk a little bit about Steph Curry, uh, because I think Murphy, even though we have yeah, totally different like lifestyles, we were both in the same situation this morning, which was... We're old. We're old, and... That makes four of us. <laughs> I woke up and was curious about, like, oh, how did it go for Steph Curry on the court last night? I saw him miss a couple three-pointers. I, then- I was even more like, did Steph Curry... I went to bed, and, and, and Steve Kerr had just spoken after Steph Curry's shoot-around. Okay. So I was like... Oh, I wonder if Steph Curry ended up making it back on the court last night. I, I Log saw, on to Twitter. Yeah, I saw him on the court and miss a couple threes and then woke up and went downstairs with my two-year-old and was like, let me see what happened. And then, holy crap. But let's talk about how Are you old? wholesome young people. Hey, <laughs> you know, he had six points at halftime. He had 23 at the end of regulation. And I said, I'm going to bed. I don't care. You know, But I couldn't go to sleep. So I was following it on my phone. And I'm like, and I, I looked at a couple other things on Twitter and Facebook. And I look back, and it's, wait a minute, they're up eight, and he has 40? So if he has 40, he has 17 in a five-minute overtime? overtime? And then I couldn't sleep after that because <laughs> I'd missed that. Yeah, and you were disappointed. But, but I wasn't asleep like you young I mean, snappers. Look, what? Less, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but anytime you are burning the midnight oil over, over me, I, I'm going to start reevaluating my life. <laughs> hey, I have an excuse. I have two kids under the age of five. But so, I was, yeah, I I'm more Well, I was out. like you, except I slept, and I didn't watch any of the game, and I woke up and, and wondered if Curry had indeed gotten on the court, and I saw that not only had he gotten on the court, I had missed the aforementioned 17-point explosion in overtime, so I'm kicking myself. And then I have this like self-loathing period where I think about how old I am, <laughs> and the, like, the literally the only things I think about anymore are the weather and how late games start. <laughs> I mean, I miss like half the... You, you start eating dinner at four o'clock at uh, yeah, diners yeah, and you're yeah. well on your way to uh, I missed a senior how, citizen center. I missed that. I didn't see St. Joe's play once in the NCAA tournament because they started at like 9.52 every night. <laughs> well, they I only used to start twice. my nights at 9.52 less. Right, yes. uh, Meanwhile, less is like having the Bacchanalia celebration in his living room. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's mid- really it's midnight it. and less is... Uh, <laughs> Midnight in the Garden of Good it, and Evil I, at the Bowen. sucked in. I really did. And I don't care that much about the NBA. But it was an amazing – you know, you don't have that many figures in sports right. in your lifetime. You don't see that many uh, 
transcendent players in your life. Right. Well, that's the word I wrote down this morning uh, because I'd read, and this is amazing to me too. We're, we are going to talk, by the way, Les Bowen is this here is and we, we are going, yeah, we are going to talk about the Eagles and I forget who their quarterbacks names are, but we're going to talk about them again because <laughs> they're again in the Guido news. Merkins. But transcendent. I read a, I read a tweet from, I think, J.A. Adandi this morning who was the, I think he's, is he still with the LA Times? Uh, ESPN. ESPN, whatever. Um, he was responding to someone who asked him, and this is, again, it, it's been a long day for me. Somebody asked Jay Adande, is this what it was like to watch Michael Jordan in his prime? And I was like, there are sentient human beings. Sentient? Sentient. Sentient? There's our word of the day. Sentient. <laughs> sentient. Sentient human beings walking this earth that never saw Michael Jordan play basketball. Like, that's amazing to me. And I guess it shouldn't surprise me when you start doing the math, but... It's still like there's 22 yeah. year old yeah. people out there that yeah. never saw Michael Jordan play. Ah, there's like 18 year old people out there that never saw Michael Jordan play in his prime. But it is actually exactly like watching Michael Jordan play in the sense that you've never seen anybody play like this before. Like that's the thing. And when you look at their numbers, you know, I will say this: Michael Jordan is as good as we thought he was. You know, like mm -hmm. you know how you kind of mm -hmm. every everything everything, gets everything blown that happened yeah. in your memory. Everything yeah. that happened in your generation is the best thing ever. But Michael Jordan is legitimately the best thing ever, and the numbers do say that. So I, I have that going for me. But the the difference between Durant and and LeBron and and you know some of these guys like people played like LeBron before, like just sheer physical dominance. You know, like they're he's he's a different type of player. But like Will Chamberlain banged people around, like mm -hmm. LeBron bangs people around nowadays. Nobody's ever played like Steph Curry plays, and nobody ever played like Michael Jordan played. And the remarkable thing is they play two different, completely different styles. Where yeah. Jordan was like 20 of 30. So his 56-point game, Michael Jordan's record-setting 56-point game against the Heat, he went 20 of 30 from the field, all from two-point range. He did not attempt a single three-point shot. And, and Curry's kind of like the opposite of it. Yeah. But they're both like transcendent in that manner because we haven't seen it before. Well, somebody wrote this last night, and I read again, I read it this morning, and it's true. Like Right now, Steph Curry is... Clearly, arguably, and I think more and more becoming clearly the best shooter in NBA history. But beyond that, right now, he's also the best ball handler in the league, and he's the best passer in the league. And that's, I mean, who would argue yeah. that? Like, watch some of those highlights from last night where he's putting the ball between his legs at lightning speed and pulling up and hitting a three and finding, I mean, he scored the winning basket last night on a tip, a rebound tip-in. He's 6-2. Like, yeah. how does that happen? And Controlling he's, he's not the outcome. You know, it's... Yeah, I watched a lot of that game, and it was an ugly game. The Warriors didn't look good. He had to sit out a lot in the sec in the first half, trying to get his legs under him and not going trying to overextend him. And they were horrible. Yeah, I mean they were they looked like the Sixers. They were shooting off the first pass. They were not defending. They were getting dunked on. You know, they were down ten at halftime after having been down sixteen, and he just waves his hands and all that disappears. You yeah, know? I mean there aren't. Again, in any sport, that's hard to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a difference. I mean, right there is a difference between greatness and transcendence, and that to me yeah. is that to me is even the difference between again. I, I know people will argue this, but look, say LeBron and Steph Curry is a guy like Les Bowen. Like LeBron's been playing for the last fifteen years, and yet it's only now that Les Bowen says, "I'm not even in the NBA. I'm not even in the NBA, but I stayed up to watch it." Do you yes. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think when you talk about yeah, I never really did that with LeBron. I did it some with Jordan. You're right. Just It's just because of the style of play. Right. You know, and, it's, and what's yeah. interesting, it's funny. Les and I were discussing this before we came on the podcast, and there's this incredible statistic kind of floating out there now that now that the Cavaliers have beaten the Hawks and are on their way to the NBA Finals, 
LeBron James's teams have won 17 consecutive Eastern Conference playoff series. He has not lost a playoff series in the East since 2010 when the Cavaliers lost to the Celtics, and that was the impetus for him leaving Cleveland the first time. So, I mean, think about We talk about sports as narrative almost and like a, you know, a drama. I mean, it's, it's literally like irresistible force versus a movable object here with LeBron in one bracket and Curry in the other bracket. And it's not... Cavaliers versus Warriors. It's Steph and LeBron, and two totally different styles of play, almost equal levels of dominance. I mean, if if the Cavaliers stay completely healthy, which they were not for the finals last year, and Curry doesn't re-injure his ankle, this is going to be a spectacle in the finals, like nothing we 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 haven't seen something like this in a long, long time. We, I mean, right? we can get in more more into it later because I want to make sure I'm not. I, LeBron James is one of the top five, ten basketball mm-hmm. players of all time. This is sheer like that wow factor. When you, right. you know that that it's that, the manner of exactly. doing it. Yeah, like I, I'll never forget the '98 home run race. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was '98. Maybe I will forget if it wasn't '98. But <laughs> Bonds and Sosa, Sosa. McGuire and, you knew, and Sosa. Yeah, or I'm sorry, McGuire and Sosa. And you knew that it had gotten to a point of transcendence when I'm sitting in my grandmother's living room, and she bring she and my mother are talking yeah. about it. You know, like yeah. there's that line. It's like that right. line between. You know, greatness and just like cultural, cultural pe- phenomenon, and like yeah. yeah, like Simon and Garfunkel writing a song about it. You right, know, like that's right. they're never going to write a song about LeBron James. That is legitimately because. the oldest cultural pop culture <laughs> reference you have made since this podcast began. I only understand the ones I made, but let, before we get to Sam Bradford, let me just because I looked up these numbers this morning, and, and it just reinforces how great MJ was, and I really do feel bad because MJ's thing was, I mean, first of all, it was both ends of the court sheer mm-hmm. dominance. I mean, mm-hmm. he averaged a block a game. Yeah, you know, I mean. And, and like three steals a game, but and, and just but he took over. Mm-hmm. That's what was like it. Right. Where yeah. you know when yeah. the game, like you just knew there was that thing where you and LeBron, you know, fair or not, has never had necessarily it. I don't know if he's had the chance to be it, have it because his his greatest teams have had other great players on it where he didn't have to be that guy. But you've never had that sense that like oh now LeBron has the ball, just wait. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yep. Like whereas yeah. like with Curry and Jordan, Jordan especially. But listen to these numbers. So per per 100 possessions, because this was a it was a slower game back back in the day. Uh, Curry last year during the playoffs, per 100 possessions, averaged 36.9 points, 8.3 assists, 6.5 rebounds, with a 456 field goal percentage. 36.9, 8.3, 6.5. Jordan during the 90-91 postseason per 100 possessions, 41.8 points. Wow. 11.2 assists. 8.5 rebounds and a 524 field goal. Holy percentage. God, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, it really is. That's that's and, and to do that as a guard, that's the thing. And I to mean, do it shooting almost exclusively two, two pointers. Point I mean, he's like every yeah. shot. It's it just it was amazing. Well, he also got to the basket a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But they yeah. all the other thing about him is they both create their own shot. You yeah. know, using not necessarily sheer physical dominance, which was the difference mm-hmm. between guys like Will. Mm-hmm. You know, Will and LeBron, they're just bigger than everybody. Yeah. Whereas, like, Jordan and, and Jordan was a big guy, but Jordan and Curry, Curry especially, that's the thing, is when you watch yeah. him, just that, that there's just some, I mean, the Vines yeah. are just, yeah. it's, it's an all-Vine game. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, uh, all right, so segue here for a second, because I do think this plays into what I'd like to get into in discussing Sam Bradford. Oh, I would love to hear this. How, how are you going needles. to tie together Here's Steph how. Curry and Sam okay. Bradford? Okay, so we're talking about basically in talking about Jordan, Steph, and LeBron. You're talking about the idea concept of sports superstars, okay? And really what you're talking about is narratives and stories in sports that draw people in. Like I said before, the idea of Steph Curry versus LeBron James 
becomes the kind of story that draws sports fans. You don't have to be from San Francisco or Cleveland. Magic Bird. Right, Magic Bird, that sort of thing. Tom Brady, as a figure, okay, goes from being underdog initially with the Patriots to being golden boy to being villain with Deflategate and having won a whole bunch, okay? So to bring this back to the Eagles, I honestly think, and I'm going to sit down and write a column about this today, that... The primary reason, or one of the primary reasons, that the Eagles went after Carson Wentz, okay? And we can get into the timeline of this. Murph and I have discussed this on the podcast before. We have a theory that nobody's been able to confirm yet, but I think is pretty solid. That Jeff, this is Jeffrey Lurie's thing. This idea, of, and let's jump in at any time. You would know better than we would. This is Jeffrey Lurie's thing. You know, he has framed this as, he's been the one since Chip Kelly, since he fired Chip Kelly, was franchise quarterback, franchise quarterback. Even when... All indications were, hey, we're signing Sam Bradford. We call a press conference to mm-hmm. announce we're signing Sam Bradford. This is a marriage. We're going to move forward and see how it goes. Something changes between that press conference and just after they work out and talk to Carson Wentz that convinces the entire organization we're going to go after Carson Wentz. I think what Jeffrey Lurie wants out of his team right now is a superstar. He wants somebody who can transcend Philadelphia to be kind of what Donovan McNabb almost was in his early years with the chunky soup ads and all that sort of thing, okay? Because that's what sells in the NFL and in sports. It it penetrates the culture at large. That's what Brady is. Well, it also is the best way to win a championship. If you have a guy like that, it's really hard not to win a championship. It, it can be done, as Dan Marino proved, but, right. it's, but it's really hard not to win a championship. But there are other ways to do it. And sure. yeah. as Murph pointed out in a column that's on Philly.com right now, given where the Eagles were heading into the offseason, mm-hmm. the smarter course of action, one could argue, would be to not waste the opportunity costs that they sacrificed by moving, making those trades to move up and get Carson Wentz. But to pick those players, get an offensive lineman, get help in the secondary, whatever you think you need to help a team that has a caliber of quarterback in Sam Bradford, who while not Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning at his best, is a caliber of quarterback who with the right pieces around him could compete for a championship. I would argue Jeffrey Lurie looked at that, noticed the milk, picked up on the milk toast personality of Sam Bradford and said, "Uh uh-uh. That ain't good enough for yeah. us. We haven't had any. We haven't had a superstar since Donovan McNabb, and that's what I want. Yeah, I. Uh, it, as Jonathan Tannehill, poor Jonathan, he's sitting over here without a microphone. We have, <laughs> we have three. Uh, I, I'm sharing the mic with Les. I will say. I will say this about the lack of superstar. I disagree with you in one respect. I would say the last superstar that he had was Terrell Owens. And my question then is... It's not a wide receiver league. It's a quarterback I know, but does Jeffrey Lurie want a superstar or a superstar quarterback? I think he wants a superstar who is wholesome and good, which is what Donovan McNabb was when he got here. He was doing chunky soup ads with his mom. And that's how people knew him. He he was a national star. What stopped him, what stopped his ascendance was the fact that they never won a Super Bowl. And if you're going to be a quarterback nowadays and you're going to be a superstar, you better win a championship. And he never did. But two or three years in the, into his career with the Eagles, there were Michael Jordan comparisons. There were, this guy's going to own the town. He's going to own the country because he's that uh, 
he has that personality. He he's he's spectacular spectacular to watch on the field. He runs. He throws. He's a, he seems to be a great guy. And it never materialized because they never won a championship. So he wa- You said something. To answer your question, there, there's only there, there, there are only superstars in the NBA or in the NFL are quarterbacks. Maybe some maybe a running back. I, that may like well maybe be, Barry Sanders. Well be. But like name a name a superstar. They just don't. Why receivers don't touch? They're not around the ball enough. They're not on camera enough to be super. I, to be the guy that I, that I would argue that Terrell Owens was a superstar in his prime. Well, you have to define superstar. Is he doing is TV he doing, ads? Is he? I mean, he really penetrated the, the the nation as a whole while he was with the Eagles. Then then all of a sudden, Nicolette Sheridan's jumping into his arms, you know, in a Desperate Housewives promo on Monday Night Football. That wasn't happening before he got to Philadelphia. Well, regardless. That that it's kind of besides the point. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Les, you he were at this. He was a dominant player. You know, JJ Watt is a dominant right. player, but they don't. JJ Watt's team didn't win any championship this year because you can't. Being a defensive end doesn't doesn't win you a championship. I really think there's a. I understand Mike's point. I'm not sure Lurie is that consumed with the idea of stardom I think he's really really desperate at this point after 22 years of owning the team to win a Super Bowl and he's pretty much convinced and I think Howie Roseman is convinced that the best way to do that is to somehow get a transcendent quarterback in here and go from there that that that's the key ingredient I'm not sure they're right about that I think one of the things that happens in sports is people grab onto a trend as it's ending. You know, you had a long run of Super Bowls only won by people named Manning right. or uh, Rodgers or Roethlisberger. Not so much the case the last few years, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it is a good way. I mean, if you want to get back, we've talked a lot about trying to recreate the Andy Reid era. They were in five NFC championship games during that McNabb, Reed era, getting a, a transcendent quarterback or a, a great quarterback is is a way to get back to that level. It is the problem. I, I agree, and if you could guarantee me that that this guy would be that guy, I would absolutely. He would be worth whatever right. price I would pay. The, the problem is, is is this notion that that you know there's 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 almost like a confirmation confirmation bias aspect to this where. They want a quarterback, and so they saw their quarterback. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you, we, I keep going back to the fact that not a single team in the league would have traded, not a single team in the league in striking distance for Andrew Luck would have traded out of that first spot. Like right. no, no amount you could have traded Indianapolis your first round picks for the next decade, and they would not have traded out of right. that spot. That's to get why Andrew Marcus Luck. Mariota isn't here right. right now. Yeah. Well, and again, like I, I, I think they were smart not to go after Marcus Mariota because I think Marcus Mariota has some of the same questions as Carson Wentz. Like he just wasn't that sure. You know, he wasn't that sure thing. And so yeah, like the problem is that the, there's that risk and like right. how much. I mean, right. it, it's like I said today. Like yeah. You know, everybody wants the next Facebook stock. Like, that's a great way to yeah. get rich, you know? And if Twitter ends up, you know, becoming the next Facebook stock, then everybody who bought it at 49 bucks at the IPO right. is going to look so brilliant. But right now been. it's at 15 right. bucks, you know? And, like, that's kind of the, you know, that's what we're kind of discounting, that that you can't force it. I mean, this this is yes. not a new idea. Yes. Like, there's, there's a reason why Denver took a flyer on Tim Tebow and, and the Browns took a flyer on Johnny Manziel and, you know, the Redskins traded up for Robert Griffin and, you know, Blake Bortles and Ryan Tannehill and all these things. Like my my 
I've shifted a little bit in my philosophy on the quarterback position where I think that there's just very, 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 very few. Like when, uh, what's his name said, Russell Wilson's not elite. I agree with him. Like I think there's only, you know, three or four quarterbacks where you put them into any situation and that team's an automatic contender. Luck, Rodgers, and, you know, like maybe Brady at this, say Brady in his prime, you know, Manning in his prime. But like the vast majority are, are, in that, I would even put Ben Roethlisberger in that realm where you need to surround him with. He's mm-hmm. in a great organization. There's a reason why yeah. the quarterbacks that get drafted in the lower half of these rounds, Russell Wilson, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Flacco, end up winning Super Bowls. It's because they go into good teams, and that yeah. that helps a yeah. quarterback's yeah. transition remarkably. That's a good point. I, yeah. I don't. I can't argue with that. I, I really think you're right. They. It was Lurie, but it was also Howie Roseman who spent that year in the wilderness and came back with this idea that, that all that matters is the quarterback. But, but it, as here, you said, you can't just decide, okay, all that matters is the quarterback, where's the quarterback? Yeah, you're going to okay, be the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other part about the wilderness thing with Roseman is that with it, during his time in the wilderness, he went to the Sloan Analytics Conference and said the exact opposite. Right, about trading up. About trading up, which is why, to me, the Lurie theory has a lot of credibility to it yeah. it's the the move to go get Carson Wentz as our friend and colleague and in your guys case uh, boss Rich Hoffman has pointed out is the antithesis of everything Roseman's been about as right. an executive he's never done he's never done this he's preached against doing it which to me lends credence to the idea that this is a Lurie production and that there's something yeah. while, while you're right I agree with you that the surest way to get to a Super Bowl is through is to have an elite quarterback and Jeffrey Lurie wants to win Super Bowls therefore he wants an elite quarterback I also think that there's something else at play here which is an elite quarterback the, the league is built around stars and yeah. in, in this league quarterbacks are stars Sam Bradford Nick Foles not stars well I, you brought up Nick Foles and that was actually something I wanted to say I really think Bradford's second half of the 2015 season would have gotten a lot more traction if Lurie and Roseman hadn't lived through Nick Foles Mm -hmm. in 2013. Right. You know, 27 touchdowns, two interceptions. I think everybody thought the Eagles had a very good chance of having uncovered a a gem here, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just didn't turn out to be the case. And... And Lurie, I've talked to Lurie about this. Lurie thought at the end of the 2013 season that he had gotten really lucky and, and you know, lightning had struck and, and mm-hmm. it, it, it hadn't. And, yeah. and I really think that made them much more reluctant. I mean, I saw Sam Bradford do some darn good things yeah. in those last, particularly the last four or five games. You know, in that last game when he wasn't running Chip Kelly's thing so much anymore – he was tremendous. Yeah. You know, it was against a terrible defense, but mm-hmm. he was tremendous. You know, any other team in any other situation that hadn't been through this so recently might have really wanted to hitch their wagon to that. Yeah. But, of course, you have his injury history also. Well, that's the, uh, And that's I really a, think that's, in the long run, that's why there wasn't a long-term deal done, and, and that's why other teams aren't that interested. I think other teams saw him play well down the stretch, but I don't think anybody thinks Sam Bradford is going to play the next four or five all, years, all, you know, at a high level without getting hurt. Also, the you know, it's kind of the irony of um, Sam Bradford not having a trade market. Part of the reason there's no market to trade for Sam Bradford is that Sam Bradford's going to make $18 million this year. You know, the, it, Sam Bradford making $7 million 
is a very sought-after trade piece if the Eagles are trying to deal him. Sam Bradford at $18 million, when he thinks he's going to be here and have a chance to be the starting quarterback for a while, so he signs for $18 million. All of a sudden, now that he wants to be traded, he can't be traded because he costs too much money. All of what you, the two of you, Mike and Les, have just said is completely rational and is helping to destroy a conspiracy theory that's in my mind, and I hope you'd help me demolish the rest of it because I've sort of, while listening to you guys, put my David Murphy hat on and tried to play shrink a little bit with what's going through Jeffrey Lurie's mind. Where do I buy a David Murphy hat? Where do I get a shrink? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know which of those is the better question. What's your theory? Um, you said something earlier that really got my attention, which was Donovan McNabb was a wholesome and good superstar. When I think about what constitutes a superstar, I think about buzz and, and sizzle almost off the field, not, well, right. not independent of performance on the field is my point. No, no. McNabb, look, McNabb, unless you can, you were at this game as well. Uh, The the superstar moment for McNabb was they were playing the Redskins. I think it was probably his second year. It might have been his first year, but it was his his second year. His second year. And he he did this Allen Iverson crossover type move in the open field. Yes. And just like shook somebody. Mark Carrier, safety for the Redskins. Yeah. Yeah. And, And then, and he scored, he scored. A touchdown, and he might have moonwalked after. I think he actually did moonwalk. I remember the moonwalk. Yeah, Uh, and like that, it was his style of play. And if you want to ask what changed about Donovan McNabb, I think his style of play changed more than anything. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I mean, even Michael Vick, even at his old age, brought some electricity to the field because of the style of play. And I don't think it is, frankly, I don't think it has anything to do with the off the field stuff. I think it's completely the excitement level that he brings in the way that, which is why, and I think frankly. Jeffrey Lurie thinks a lot. I don't think it's a conscious thing necessarily. I'm I'm more with Les in the terms of I don't know. I think I think Les, I think Jeffrey Lurie is going through. He just strikes everything about him strikes me as a guy going through a midlife crisis right now, and like just wants to like <laughs> you just, just be, one thing. Just wants to thing. be more Mark Cuban, you know, Mark Cuban esque. I well, want to take my team back. One, you know? one thing. Remember remember this about the history of the NFL, and there was a really interesting article in the New Yorker this week about this. The re the NFL. Long ago in the 60s, learned to market, 60s and 70s, learned to market its star players the way Hollywood used to market its actors and actresses, which is don't sell the story, sell the star, okay? So that's that to me is the appeal of Brady. While you're right, the, the, the stuff on the field matters. Um, I think the character of the athlete matters too, whether it's, in Allen Iverson's case, maybe the country was ready for a counterculture sort of superstar, in the NFL, it might be it might be a little bit different. Um, where you have, you can you could know Tom Brady goes from like I said, underdog to uh, golden boy with Giselle Bunchen in his yeah arm. to villain. I dis- that, I disagree. That sort of stuff draws in people who are not necessarily hardcore football fans, um, and that's what people like Lurie are after. And never and don't forget this too, Jeffrey Lurie. Was a, a movie, movie producer. I'll, I'll finish my point, and then yeah. I'll give the mic back to Les. I'm glad you brought up Vic because I, it made me think about that too, which is Owens and Vic blew up in the Eagles' faces. Mm-hmm. They had the buzz superstar elements, performance, whatever. They had the buzz part of the superstar them, and they brought it to the organization. Lurie sees a chance to go and get a wholesome, good superstar in Wentz and banish the memories of Vic and Owens. Is it I don't conspiracy think, theory or I, not? No, I, th- I don't think it's about banishing the memory of Vic. Vic was a, a very good guy. And 
Owens, I don't think it has anything to do. I don't think Owens is a play. I think here everyone's at all. reading way too much into this. <laughs> as less as less. I, I, I think I think that he. I, want, think, the I think Jeffrey Lurie wants a winner. He he wants to, look guys. These are vanity projects, guys. They they these, right. all these owners lucked into the fact that this is a great business opportunity now. But these guys these guys didn't want to have didn't have the capital necessarily to build and, and the willpower to build something on their own that would like turn them into a business titan or like they they weren't revolutionary thinkers like Steve Jobs. They took a shortcut. They bought a professional sports teams and now they can live vicariously through it. I think what Jeffrey Lurie missed the last three years was that living vicariously through that element. And I think, right. yeah, like he does want to recreate the excitement of, of the early Andy Reid and Donovan years. I just don't think it's like a conscious thing where he's like, I need a superstar to do this. I just think he's like, he's got a little sizzle back in his life now. I mean, right. and, and that's, that's just what it is. Well, I'll say, and I have to hand off the mic here and, and take off but again 22 years he's owned the team he's built a practice facility and a stadium that, that is the Eagles by themselves as the things that have never existed in the history of the franchise he thought 22 years ago he would have won Super Bowls by now mm-hmm. he is Jeffrey Lurie is actually even older than I am which is hard to Whoa. believe, you know, that he's still walking around uh, in polite society. Cut him open but, and count the rings. You know, he is not a young man anymore, and it's getting to be time. You know, I mean, he he wants this to happen. He does not want to spend years and years and years and years just wandering in the wilderness trying to get back to where he thought he was going to be, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, I think – but I agree with David. You can't just will these things to happen. You have to have the right setup. Right. And the three years they spent pursuing Chip Kelly's vision and trading away players that didn't fit Chip Kelly's specifications, you know, it's going to be hard to to get to that level, you know, even with a transcendent young quarterback, if Carson Wentz turns out to be that, they have miles and miles to go before they sleep. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers has only been close to one Super Bowl. I mean, he's won one Super Bowl, and he's only been close to one other. You know, I mean, that's – and he's the – I would argue the most talented quarterback of all time. I mean, that whether you agree with that, it's irrelevant. He's definitely one of the top five. You know, I mean, he is like transcendent of transcendent. And, it, I mean, but to put your quarterback in a situation where he has to be that and can't just be like Matt Ryan or something, that's that's a very difficult proposition, right. you know? It is. Anyway, thanks. Yeah. I, I Thank guess you. Thanks, Les. Yeah. See you, Les. It's, it's not a compliment to Lee that Lurie, from where I'm sitting, is trying to will this into being. But it does seem to me that he's trying to will it into being. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, we've talked about that before, that something changed in their approach. You know, Murph talked about it last week. That press conference where they brought Bradford out after he had signed the two-year contract was not a hey, everyone say hello to our stopgap quarterback who's going to be here for a little while until we get the real franchise guy. That was, hey, Sam could be here a while if things go well. We like him, and there's the chance for a longer relationship here. And something happened where all of a sudden they were like, yeah, not so much. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think, I just think that, I think that he thinks what has been the conventional wisdom in the NFL and that a lot of, frankly, he thinks the I think he, Jeffrey he Lurie thinks a lot more like a fan than anybody else. And I think with Sam Bradford, probably he, when he watched Sam Bradford those first four weeks, I'm sure he had the same reaction as a lot of fans. Like, man, he just doesn't look like a, that's the thing with Carson Wentz. And it's the, it's the revealing thing, but also the concerning thing is how much they focused on, in both of those press conferences, a after the trade and after, 
you know, after they actually drafted him about all those abstract qualities that, you know, you hear about like David X, those David Eckstein qualities. I like the column. He's a grit. He's he bleeds winning. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's. But those are but that gets back to. But my he does. Theory. He looks like I mean, he is looking for a movie star. That yes. gets back to my theory. Right. I just don't think it's like an I don't think it's a I, I think that you're putting into words what Jeffrey Laurie only feels. Do you know what that I'm saying? Like, I, don't think that, say, I don't think he sat down and said, guys, we need to go out and no, get, get us a I superstar do, that we like, can market. I do think there is an element of, like, look, look, in Philadelphia and in a large segment of the media, and we are part of this, Murph, you probably more so than me because you really immerse yourself in, you know, studying the ins and outs of football and how a quarterback plays and defenses and things like that more so than I do. But... A part, if, if, Go ahead, if, just say I'm a loser. No, I'm not saying that at yeah, all. Yeah. I'm saying you, you're committed to, to knowing what you need to know to write about things intelligently. But that's a that's a very nice way. Very <laughs> nice of you to say. And that. I and I don't doubt that Jeffrey Lurie wants the Eagles to win a Super Bowl, and I don't doubt that he thinks having a great quarterback is the best way to do that. I'm, I take all that, but what I am saying is that there's more to it than that. Yeah. The league conscientiously in the late '70s start and in the '80s started marketing itself around its quarterbacks, okay? It, it was a it was a conscientious thing. The league in the 70s was awful. The average scoring in each game was about 13 points, okay? For I, I think per team, if that. So, the league needed a change. It became entirely about its quarterbacks. And I think Laurie is somebody who conscientiously or not, consciously or not, picks up on that. He doesn't just look at it as Hey, I just want to go out there and and win any way I can win. I think he wants to win in a certain way. I think he looks at I totally agree with the, that. the New England Patriots and who I mean he's he's he fawns over Bob Kraft and says there's a franchise that was nothing in the NFL before it had Tom Brady. And now it's had For 30 Tom Brady. years or whatever yeah. however long and it was. That, and yeah. then it got Tom Brady you know, sixth round pick comes out of nowhere, leads him to the Super Bowl his first year as a starter. Uh, you know, on a last second field goal, on a last second drive, all of a sudden he's Captain America. He marries the supermodel, and he's in, he is yeah, I'm the sure guy. He wants all that. He wants my all only. That. Point, this is, yeah. My only point is that that's in very, very, very many ways a, a false narrative that people have deluded themselves into believing. Well, I mean, he I believes ever, it, right? That's but, what but, matters. But the, but, but the, the point is, I don't. I think that he thinks this is the best way to win. I don't necessarily, you know, whatever. The superstar thing aside, all I'm saying is that Tom Brady didn't even play in the AFC Championship game that year. I don't know that, like, like yeah, the perception is here's this kid came in and led them to a Super Bowl. He didn't lead anything. He managed the game and that defense, which was I understand one of the that, top but that's defense. not a story. You're, you're, no, I know, I know, but I'm saying the narrative is a false narrative, and that's why I have no doubt that that's what Lurie believes. Mm-hmm. But. I think first of all, I think he wants a, I think he wants a Super Bowl. I just think he, he wants a winner. He want, he's like Michael Singletary. He's like Michael Singletary. He he wants winners. Hmm. No, he, yeah. the funny. But, he, but yeah. I just think that he is bought into this narrative that you know, f- judging by the reaction of fans that I get to a lot of things that I write, everyone has bought in. I, right. and, and and but the narrative as well. I mean, Flacco is now an elite quarterback because he won a Super Bowl. Right, you know? I get that. But but the narrative, it's it's almost like there's a movie in his head. Yeah, and yes. Carson Wentz is the star yes. of the movie, and we're the audience. Yeah. That's the problem. And the problem I just think is, it's stupid. I just think it's yeah. it's like a movie. It's not real life. He's I trying to build the Patriots in a completely different way than how the Patriots built themselves. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just all right. I guess all I'm saying is that I don't think floor. that he's doing anything consciously, and I don't know that matters. You know, like I just think that 
Like Sam, yeah, Sam Brad. He looked at Sam Bradford, and the reason why everyone did not like Sam Bradford is because he didn't look like a quarterback. Like it's not just Jeffrey Lurie. This is just how the way the, the, way the human mind thinks. It's mm. like I know a guy when I see him, and I know Sam Bradford's not it. I mean, people will say that. Then, and, then, then Zoo with Roy should be the GM of the Eagles because he goes off. <laughs> well, on that's Bradford. so. That's the, the problem. Is you know the problem is that good leaders surround themselves with people who will give them all sides of the story mm-hmm. and allow them to make their decisions. I just don't know that. And, and honestly, the, one of the biggest concerns I I would have about this move from an Eagles fan, because all the Eagles fans will, will say, well, why are you being so negative? Why don't you just like enjoy it or whatever? Well, you guys, you guys would be the ones you were saying the same thing when I was writing about Ruben Wall Jr. in 2011 yeah. and 12, you know, like you, you guys are the ones are going to be, this is going to be your decade that you're stuck with, you know, <laughs> I mean, like Cleveland Browns fans said the same thing to all the naysayers about Tim Couch, you know, right. I mean. I like Carson Wentz, but the fact is that the, the, this franchise is making decisions that are very, very curious. And and one of the leading concerns I would have as a fan is the team that they traded with is a team that has a bunch of guys who love information and who specialize in things like assigning risk to players like Carson Wentz. And that is Paul DePodesta. Mm-hmm. And oh wait, they didn't tra- did they trade with them? Yeah, they traded with them. Yeah. Right? All right. Yeah. Why do I keep thinking Titans? I don't know. Anyway, they traded Dark Marco Murray. But yeah, Paul DePodesta. And and Sashi Brown and those guys in the Cleveland Browns are a very, very bright front office. And I'm not saying that 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 they know football players like Carson Wentz. Maybe Carson, maybe they 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 traded out from it, but they know risk and they know the risk that a guy like Carson Wentz presents. And, and the thing that Lurie is is you know underestimating is the chance that if this blows up, he's almost completely sabotaged his chance to win anything for maybe five, six, seven years, at least two draft cycles, you know? Right, right. They could very well, if this doesn't work out this year, let's say Bradford, you know, gets hurt week three, okay? They start they, they, they start him like they say they're going to start him. He gets hurt week three, which everybody seems to think is a fait accompli, and Wentz has to come in or Chase Daniel has to come in, okay? The Eagles go 4-12, and 5-11, and 11, somehow end up with a top five pick in the NFL draft, which they now don't have because they traded it away for Carson Wentz. And it only that's that's been part of my argument for why this idea that Sam Bradford's going to come in, play well, and remain the quarterback for the entire season is such baloney, mm-hmm. is that they have to have Wentz play well. They have to for this entire thing to work. That's the entire premise. And the sooner they find that out, the better off they well, are. And the pro- you know one of the problems is, and I w- I want to. This is like my next project to to see if you can't put some quantification to this. But if you if you look at quarterbacks, I'm not sure that you get a great. I'm not sure that a quarterback reaches his prime until five or six years into the league. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at Alex Smith and his right. first, and I don't think Alex Smith is a great quarterback. But I think Alex Smith is very much on the level of Sam Bradford. Yes. And if you look at their numbers. I think he's on the level of Joe Flacco. Yeah, if you, like, exactly. Yeah. I think all those guys are in the same. Yeah. You know, I think Eli Manning's at the high end of that spectrum. And mm-hmm. if you look at Eli Manning's first five years, his numbers are very similar yes. to, you know, Sam Bradford's. Yeah. And I think Bradford, yes, it's a huge, the injury thing is a huge thing. You know, and I I think two years, it was a big thing with Alex Smith too. And he put a couple, he put two or three good years together and, mm-hmm. and that went away. And I think that's what Sam Bradford has to do. Yeah. And the thing is, I think if he does that, he still has, you know, six, seven years. Uh, it would be like drafting a ready-to-go quarterback. Do you know what I'm saying? Look at it this way. Okay, you mentioned Eli Manning. I think I've said it on the podcast before. To me, the most underappreciated season a quarterback has ever had in NFL history is is Eli Manning's 2011 season. Okay, he threw, I think, 
40 he he threw for just more than five just short of 5000 yards um 30 some touchdown passes and they went like 8 and 8 right they um they went 9 and 7 or 10 and, and won the super ended up right. winning the super bowl okay but he had he had the best season of his career right. by far okay uh, actually I'll have to check it. He All had right. a very good. I thought you were talking about two years ago. He had a very, very good. He year. maybe two did, years. but at anyway, the time he had a, he had a he had a great year in Super Bowl winning year. Okay, the fact is they only qualify for the playoffs on the last day of that season. And the other thing is that's him seven years into his career. I mean, everybody wants Car. That's that's why you want if you're the Eagles, you're going to play Carson Wentz soon. The longer you wait for that, for wait for him to play, the longer you got to wait for the prime to come around. So here's something I have not gotten a straight answer from people on this because. The one time I tried to broach the subject, I got told that I was holding this kid up. I was I was already sabotaging this kid because the standards. I was I essentially wrote, the Eagles are, are putting themselves into a position and putting once into a position where he do, he can't just be good. He right. has to be like an all time great. Right. And my point, I keep asking people is what like when you say franchise quarterback, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, who is a franchise? Is Tony Romo a franchise quarterback? It, I don't like what are I we, would say. Like, all right, John, let me ask Jonathan because he, he, he you use the word. And, and you're kind of more the man on the street. Like, what what's a franchise quarterback to you? Like, what what? Like when people use this term, I mean, because Tony Romo, you know, it was he was 27, 28 years old before he even really, you know, it, it was like his second. I think he was 26 when he when he started his first season for the Cowboys. 2006, I you think. Know? Yeah. The, the, um, I think I can answer your question. The term franchise quarterback is a term bestowed. Well, no, no, I know what. I know how it is used, but I'm saying from your what, perspective, what, how what, would, right. but what do you think a team need? What, what quarterback would you want Wentz to turn into? You cut me off at the exact part of the sentence that I hoped you wouldn't. Is a term bestowed after the fact. I know. We by, know that. That's People, by the Peter Kings. That's and why I cut you off because I know what the, I know. That's what it is. But I'm asking po- you what, like, what, in your, what is a great quarterback to you? Like, does this guy have to be? If 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 Sam Brad or if uh, Carson Wentz is anything less than quarterback X, it, he will be a failure. That's the question I'm trying to get you to answer. Joe Flacco, Tony Romo, Jay Cutler, like Jay Cutler is Jay Cutler a franchise quarterback? Hell no. Okay. He has. He, I, I don't, don't know. know why the Bears keep thinking he is. But the 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 fran- the unfortunate truth about what defines a franchise quarterback to almost anybody is how many games are won and how far you go in the playoffs. A lot of which is not necessarily the responsibility of the quarterback alone. Okay, so we're asking you what what would you want in a quarterback? What would Carson Wentz have to be? Win the division. Say, win the division on a regular basis. So you're defining it that places. way too. <laughs> right. That's but that's my point. Is that is that is that the man on the street is not defining franchise quarterback by any high level metric. Okay. I mean, he's he's right. I I, I just. I th- maybe it's something. This you, is why I think this is why this kind of this just I agree the whole with you thing completely. blows my mind. Yes, because no, I agree it's with you. So, it's so circular. Well, right. I was just asking, but I'm saying. So when you say like fans will say, you know, you can't win anything until you have a franchise quarterback. What I'm saying is, where on the spectrum are you defining did he, franchise did he quarterback? Did he beat the Cowboys like it, or the Giants on a Sunday night or a Monday night, and everybody was watching? Right, but that's not. But but they're saying, they're saying you can't do that until you get a franchise quarterback. So who is the franchise quarterback? Like all I'm asking is, he, you, do you, he, is like is, is Joe Flacco a guy that you want to build your team around? Is Tony I, I, Romo a guy? Is Flacco, Romo, yes, Romo. Yeah, no. but you, you keep, so I'm asking you who? Romo, yes. So no. Romo's no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't around Romo. I think he's too erratic. Um, I would. I would. I personally would Flacco before Romo, but I like anybody else who lives anywhere in the Northeast Quarter is probably biased about Romo. But is is Flacco? So Fra- Flacco is a franchise quarterback. To me, yes. Okay. I, 
I mean, I. But but how, I don't know. I, you're, I, you guys who go to games, who have watched the Cowboys in person and on tape, far more than I have. Would might well define Romo differently because I think the, Romo. I think Romo is really really. I good. think he is too. I, and I think frankly, Romo is. I think Romo is in that tier. We like this is when our this was what I was trying to talk yes, about when yeah, we got yeah. into our Cam Newton thing yeah. before the Super Bowl, is. I think I think actually Tony Romo, the, the Eagles could very well be. In fact, the parallel. I was going to write this to him. Maybe I will at some point. But like the parallels between the way the Eagles are trending and the way the Cowboys have developed under Jerry Jones since that Super Bowl. To me, it's almost like, like, I'm not sure that Jeffrey Lurie is not you know becoming more of that fantasy. Oh, GM, I think fantasy I think he is de facto GM but type. I, I, and 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 I think that what the Cowboys have ended up doing to themselves is putting them in a position where. They've squandered this chance where they have had a very, very good quarterback, but have not had the football personnel to build a team around Here's him. Here's where I think... And which is why, A, why he keeps on getting hurt. It's why they keep on losing in the first or second round of the playoffs if they ever even qualify for it. You know, they have a bad head coach. It's just why they make draft picks like like they've made. You know, I think that this is... I think that's the, the future. And, and if you look, you know, teams like that are then forced to take chances on high character guy or low character guys, which you're seeing with the Eagles. You know, it, it's almost like this, like, it's this man, it really is like a fan running your organization because you take, you take this subjective rose colored view of everything. Like, oh, well, Randy Gregory will turn into a good guy on our watch or, uh, you know, Greg Hardy will, you know, look at that talent. You know, if, if, if they say if a lot, yeah. fan, fans and, and, and owners like this, you know, if Johnny Manziel develops, if Tim Tebow does this, you know, you can... It, and in many ways, it's 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 the product of the psychology that leads a person to buy an NFL franchise. Here's what else you know what I'm saying because Jeff you Lurie don't. Sees, though. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Here's what else I think Jeff Lurie sees by being more prominent with how he runs his team is a chance to be more prominent among his fellow owners. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, it's all which, vanity. Which, it's which, all vanity. My point then, is, it's not a good. My point is, is that even if my point is that. Tony Rome, unless you end up getting a Luck or a Rodgers who will save a, a quarterback good enough to save an owner from any decision that he makes, a, a, a quarterback good enough to take a team that goes 2-14 and 14 the year before and go 11-5 and five and make the playoffs with them, you know, and even then with Rodgers and Luck, we're seeing the, ex, you know, we're seeing kind of the the extent of that, you know, the, yeah. You know, I think. I mean. I think, I think you're right in a large respect. I think we're, we're coming at it from a couple different ways and there, and it's, possible for an owner to come at it in a couple different ways too. Look, I don't doubt that any owner wants to win a Super Bowl, even Jerry Jones, okay? But I think Jerry Jones is kind of the consummate example of the principle I'm talking about, which is the idea that you're always selling something, okay? Now, he's got the ultimate vehicle in the NFL to do that with. He's got America's team, okay? So he can make moves, and he has made moves and continues to make moves where... The spotlight ends up on that team. Hey, let me float it that I wanted Johnny Menzel, even though I didn't draft him. Hey, let's bring in Terrell Owens. Hey, Tony, you know, we've got Tony Romo now. He's a good-looking kid who's a good quarterback, and and we can market that as well. That's part of it, too. And if he and if he wins a Super Bowl, that's great. And if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, he's disappointed. But ultimately, it's about selling the Cowboys. And and the, the fact that what happens with that is, I think you're absolutely right. What happens with that is, Every time the Cowboys are on national television, it's the highest rated game since right. whenever. Because whether the Cowboys are great or whether they're garbage, everybody watches them. My uh, Jones has, in addition to his team, that is the most watched football team in the NFL, he's got a building that he's starting to do some things with too. Right. From Super Bowls to Final Fours to international soccer to who knows what else. 
Here's a, here's a real conspiratorial hot take um, that I'd like to get you guys' opinion on about Lurie. And it comes back to something that went around maybe a year or so ago. I forget which exactly, but it just popped into my mind. If Lurie cannot bring a Super Bowl to Philadelphia, he might be trying to bring the Super Bowl to Philadelphia. I've written about that, that they, they've been upfront that they want the Super Bowl here. The problem is, is that the, the NFL, I mean, they're, they're not going to come up on the rotation for a long time. Um, but and he gets it by currying favor with the other owners and convincing them to fill it up. Maybe, but it. even then, I mean, you're looking already at, what, 2018, 2019. I mean, the Super Bowl has been booked, you know, is booked out for a few more years, number one. Number two, the NFL knows that they dodged a major bullet in New York with the weather, sure. I mean, they, they had and they had major issues as it were, as it was because um, the weather was so unseasonably warm. They had people passing out in the Secaucus train station, um, and then the snowstorm hit on Monday, and nobody could get out of town. Um, so they, I mean, they know they dodged a bullet with the game. So yeah, he want, They've been upfront about it. the Eagles have been upfront about that. Has nothing to do with Carson Wentz. I don't think there's anything to do with Car. I think. Look, I that think has to do with Carson Wentz, but it, it has does to do with have Jeffrey to do with, with Jeffrey Lurie and what he wants the Eagles to be. And what they are not right now, I do think yeah, there's something I mean, to be said for that. I mean, I, you, you, I just think that, yeah. I mean, I yeah. It's I, a conspiracy theory on my part. Don't get me wrong, but it's. I don't know. I, I mean, I think he wants people to know him. I don't think he wants to be how the, he does it. The big swing and D. I think yeah, that's what he that's, wants. That's exactly right. what he wants. Yeah. yeah, and 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 the way he does that is, you get players who move the needle beyond just Philadelphia. Yeah, you, I don't know. I don't. I, I, I see. I, I don't. I, I just. I don't. Doesn't mean I like. Doesn't mean we like it. But it's it's to get in his mind. Yeah, I mean, you guys could be right. I just I think it's more. I think it, I just think it's more that he thinks this. He thinks this is the best way to win. I, I think everything that Howie Roseman has said has been essentially Jeffrey Lurie's mindset, which is you need a quarterback to win in this league. And I just think that it's a a. I think that it's a dangerous premise to operate on. You know, I don't. That I don't, may be, maybe, but. I the think league, he knows the league has conscientiously set itself up that way too. I mean, it's changed yes. every, it's changed the rules yeah. to make it easier. Yeah. I mean, it's it's changed everything and, to and make I'll, it more quarterback this, friendly yeah. over over time. You pick up, you go to ESPN's website. Put it this way: I don't to, think he cares if it's Tom, if he has Tom Brady or Brad Johnson as long as he wins a Super Bowl. <sighs> as long as he wins a Super Bowl, but I, I if in the interim, in the choice between not winning a Super Bowl with superstar quarterback or not winning a Super Bowl with journeyman quarterback, but building in it in a different way. Yeah. I think he's going to opt for the quarterback. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think and, we're, we're all great. I'm just saying that I think the winning comes first and you think he thinks so, the right. marketability comes first. So, I think he yes. thinks both. I think he thinks both are equally important. Okay. And I've been the, mar fair. the marketability accusation has been leveled at him for a long time. Yeah. Going back well into the read years. Cause um, that's how, look, that's how, I think most owners, whether we want to admit this or not, look at it that way. You know, that sure. the sports are here to sell stuff. That's what this right, is but about, I guess what, ultimately. I, yeah, the thing is with the NFL, you don't have to sell anything. It and sells that's itself. the ultimate irony of Lurie is that his team, if it wins, no like, matter who's playing for it, will generate the buzz and the television ratings and the jersey no, sales. No, no, but but even that, things. that's not enough. They still want to go to... England and China. I mean, and, and Jeffrey's at the at the oh, top yeah, of the list for all wanting I'm to do that. All, all I'm saying is, I I think that you're portraying or Jonathan, you are portraying it in a a kind of strict salesmanship 
aspect. I just think if what you guys are talking about is correct, it's just because it, it, it's a personal ego thing. I don't think it's anything that has to do with it. Like, because you don't have to sell the NFL. I think the television ratings don't matter. The television ratings don't matter. They don't have local television deals. Everyone splits the same revenue pot. Um, you know, tickets, the Eagles sell themselves. When they're good, they sell tickets. I think, you know, I think Jeffrey Lurie wants to be, again, like I think he's, there's guys who like to sit in the background and watch their team do well like the Rooney's. And I think him. that there's guys that like to be regarded as having an integral role in, in having them want, you know, I don't think they care about the process that leads to them winning. I just think that they want to be, you know, like like when this. I think Lurie loved the fact that he was portrayed as having given the team a pep talk before the Patriots game. You know, like mm-hmm. that that fed his ego. He said, "Yeah, I, you know, I made something. You know, I did it." I don't think it has to do with, um, you know, selling mag. You know, seeing seeing his quarterback in magazine covers or anything like that. I, I think it's a pers- sheer personal vanity thing and i think that he thinks that this is the best way to get himself back in that that realm instead of i don't i don't think that necessarily contradicts some of what we've said here no i i just no i, I was just saying i i don't think there's, there's no incentive for an owner to sell to sell his team necessarily from a business standpoint because the nfl sells itself not in this town at least yeah but just in this town I mean, right. the Eagles are not what would be regarded as a national franchise. Right. Yeah, I think he wants a which national I franchise, right. but which, I think that's which, out of personal ego, not out of anything, you know. And, and yet, if he was to go to the executives... That may be, that may be just sorry to interrupt, yeah. that may be why he wants it, but I do think there's a template to getting that that he's trying to follow. That's fine. I just yeah. think it's the wrong... I don't. Oh, that's fine. That. Yeah, you think it's... I agree with you. I mean, but... Let's be honest about what's going on here. Like, they want a quarterback because they want a star. Like, I think... No, I think they want a quarterback because they want to win. I think it's both. I mean, I think they want both. I, I think, think I think the star element cannot be discounted. Yeah, I really... I yeah, really, I, I, hey, I mean, you could be right. I just think... I I don't know. I think the winning makes the... I think the winning makes the star after the star makes the win. If that makes it, any here, sense. Like, Tony Romo would not have been a star... It should. ...if he did not help the Cowboys win. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. You know, like, there's a million Tony Romas in there. I mean, Chad Hutchinson could have been a star if, if, if you know, if he was good. If Drew Stanton could have been that star if he was good. I mean... You, like, sh- you should be right. Unfortunately, I don't think you are. I just don't think it's a concrete... You know, I think it's both. I think, I think it plays into his psychology, like, yeah, this is how I envision winners looking, but I don't think it's like... You know, we need to go out and find a marketable star so that we can, you know, then, you know, be on no, Sports Illustrated think, and go to the Emmys. When- I think, I, look, I think he, I think he looked at Carson Wentz, okay? Here's what I think. I think he looked at Carson Wentz and said, this is a kid who is intelligent, eloquent, good-looking, wholesome, you know, comes from blue-collar sensibility yeah. in the Midwest— and looks to be a terrifically good quarterback prospect mm-hmm. so that we don't have to luck into necessarily right. what the Patriots lucked into with Brady. So we can have everything in that regard, okay? We can have a winning franchise quarterback and we can have a superstar who breaks the wall and becomes something bigger than just beyond Philadelphia and even bigger than just like Russell Wilson is in the NFL. Like, Brady level, Joe Montana level, that kind of, he has the potential for that sort of thing. And I don't think you necessarily separate that out. Would Jeffrey Lurie be happy if Nick Foles had won the Super Bowl for him? Yeah, but that's not ideally what Jeffrey Lurie wants. Jeffrey Lurie wants the Super Bowl and he wants the the chunky soup ads and the discussion on ESPN every day and the 
the everybody on the street and he who he knows and who he would never associate with knowing who his quarterback is and who his franchise you is. You just made the the more than once made a point that I I want to say I want to conclude on because you guys should conclude. But we're coming up on an hour of this. I know we got some other stuff we want to talk about. You said the Eagles are not a national franchise, or Lurie thinks the Eagles are not a national franchise. I suspect that if he were to go to the executives at ESPN and NBC, who every year fall over themselves to try to get the Eagles into primetime, they would say to him, oh, yes, you are. Hmm. Yeah, but all right. All right, let's talk about this Brady thing first. Because here, here's the, the I think Brady is, frankly, and this is going to be a little bit of a controversial statement, but I think, he's, taken. I think he is, a, I think he is a, a, a good example of, put it this way, I don't know that if you threw Tom Brady into any situation in the NFL in 2001, he would still be a quarterback in sure. the NFL. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I think, and that's where, that's where Lurie is. Right, but listen, the, and people, people forget how these, these quarterbacks' trajectories follow. You know, and, and I just think sometimes we look at the chicken, the egg and the egg and the chicken, whereas, you know, the quarterback needs a good enough team to get him to a point where he can then hit his groove and become a superstar. I, like, look at Brady. Let me just read Brady's through through age. How old is Bradford? This is Brady. Bradford's 28. This is Bradford. This is Brady through his age 29 season, uh, which was 2006. Uh, 88.4 quarterback rating. 147 touchdowns, 78 interceptions, an average of. 3,400 yards per year. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it was only after that that he became. Yeah, but by then he had already won three Super Bowls. Right, but that's my whole point. They didn't necessarily win the Super Bowls because of, like, yeah, Brady is all-time great. And maybe, you know, I just, I think that there's a lot more that goes into, you know, having the skill set to be the all-time great and to actually becoming the all-time great. I completely, like he won those I Super completely Bowls. Again, you, go back that, and look at those Super Bowls. He won those Super Bowls largely because of his offensive line and he had one of the best defenses in the league. I agree 100%. Good luck selling that as as Robert Kraft in the NFL. Good luck good luck getting a uh, a Doritos deal with that. I don't that. care about that. I, I know I'm you just don't. That, but I'm, I'm, saying, ta- I'm just tackling this notion. Do, I know, but, but I'm tackling do. this. But I think that they think... I just think owners are like fans, and that's why they become owners because they're just super fans with a lot of money. They're like, well, why don't I just buy a team? You know, and I think they think like fans. They don't think things critically through a lot. I mean, I don't know how we're not stopping them in this room. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how owners think. I think, you know, I know the owners. I I know the history. I think they think that. I think they think that if they just like click their heels hard enough, they can draft Tim Tebow at number twenty-five, and everything's going to be work out. And I know that they're wishful thinkers. They will. They. They. They're optimistically biased. Again, the three of us are not changing that in this room, and that's part of the problem. And the other but part talking, is, but I, I'm saying all I'm saying is that this, the, the notion is even more incorrect. I think I, I sometimes I suspect that this notion, and the Brady is the the extreme example. This notion that it it is the transcendent quarterback that makes everything else go is we way even us way overvalue it. And I think Brady could be an example. Now maybe I'm wrong, but if you go back and look at the start of his career, he was not. Tom Brady, like Marion Giselle, all this. Like, don't forget, before he married Giselle, he, you know, knocked up. Yeah, what's Bridget Moynihan. You know, Bridget Moynihan. Like, he he, he worked his way up, too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, and I think that we, you know, that's still, it's 28 years old is very, very young. I think there's a learning, I guess what I'm saying is there's a learning curve for a quarterback, and a lot of quarterbacks never even get the chance to have that learning curve because get, they get thrown into such bad, t- I mean, like, again, like, Andy Dalton, I don't think it's a coincidence that that all that the good teams that happen to draft quarterbacks happen to draft quarterbacks who end up being good quarterbacks. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Andy Dalton, if you throw Andy Dalton into St. Louis, 
you know, in Sam Bradford's situation, he might be Christian Ponder right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just yeah, think that we be. right, but we that's my only point is it's it's a dangerously foolish notion, and I think it's partially a notion why teams get into this rut of like being the Cleveland Browns because how many quarterbacks have they drafted thinking all we need and is my, a quarterback? But my point is part of the reason they get into that rut is because the league made a conscious effort post-1977, basically, to encourage teams to get into that rut. You're going to market, you're going to change the rules of the game to allow offensive linemen to use their hands to block, to allow wide receivers to get off the line of scrimmage, so that basically you're going to change the rules to make a quarterback in some regards more important than a coach, or at least perceived to be more important than a coach, okay? Then you've got these guys who you can then market. Guys like Joe Montana, guys like Dan Marino, guys like even Phil Simms to a lesser extent. Can I take you back to history books farther? Go Joe ahead. Namath. Joe Namath, okay? I think they saw what Namath could be. And so these franchises have a template in front of them that they think they ought to follow, so they Fine. follow it. I just think it's wrong. Okay, that's that's. I, I think we need to express some condolences to our listeners on just shattering their hopes and dreams of about the, Tom Brady yeah, of the Eagles and all no, manner of. That's well, all right. Yeah. No, um, I mean it's 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 just one aspect of the Eagles. Yeah. I mean we could yeah. we could we could shatter their dreams even further yeah. if we talked about. Like the it gets all right, it's, it gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning, and we can get close to wrapping this up. You know, it gets back to narrative, I think, and storytelling and drama. The idea of, you know, there's the discussion of. It, you know, how do you build a team, let's say, in the NBA, you know, do you tank for a few seasons and, and you know, try to get as many draft picks as possible? Do you tank for one season and get LeBron James? Do you tank for one season and get lucky and have Steph Curry fall into your lap? Like, there is the strategic aspect of, of the best way to build an NBA team, which is kind of what mm -hmm. you're talking about with respect to the NFL. Do you need a franchise quarterback? Do you not? How much do you sacrifice right. to get him? That sort of thing. Then there's the the other issue of, Oh, it's Steph Curry versus LeBron James mm -hmm. in the finals. And ratings are going to be monstrous. Advertising is going to be monstrous. Um, there's a story here. There's drama. And that's part of it, too. Yeah, well, I, in some ways, I'm just saying, kind of, if, yeah. you're known, if you're allowing any of that to dictate any of your moves as a franchise, you're just foolish because all it's going to do is end up making you counter. It's going to be counterproductive. Speaking of foolish people, narratives, crushed dreams, and LeBron James. Are we going to talk about your childhood? No. <laughs> We're going to talk about basketball for a minute because I know Mike wanted to talk about it. I have here on my screen a little something that I wrote yesterday for Philly.com, which includes the results, the results of the NBA Basketball Executive of the Year voting, in which Sam Hinkie yeah. was ranked as nominally the 10th best general manager in the NBA, over and above the GM of the Atlanta Hawks that made the second round of the playoffs this year. Mike, I believe you have a thing or two to say about well, that. Now, this was, this was exec other executives, These right? were other executives voting on this, yeah. Um, I mean, that doesn't... I, it must not have been the executives that the media was talking to. Right, exactly. It wasn't a... Well, we won't name any names, but... Um, look, <laughs> I mean, I stood up for Sam Hankey more than a lot of people in this town did, and... We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens in the draft next month with A, how many picks they get, and B, what they turn out, what they end up doing with those picks, and I think most importantly, what happens with Joel Embiid and Dario Saric. Um, I was talking with Keith Pompey, our Sixers beat writer earlier today. He seems to think that Brian Colangelo's going to go to Turkey and basically give Saric an ultimatum. Like, either you come over here now or don't come over at all, um, which I guess he can do because he didn't draft them. So... 
You know. Well, I thought Sarge. Uh, have I missed something? I thought Sarge says he's coming over. Right. Reportedly says he's coming over. But no, Brian Clemens. Make, make it to, official. Brian Clemens has right. to make it look like he was the one. That I guess so. Him. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. Let's let's. Yeah. The, the, the Hawks point. First of all, is go ahead. Sarge, if I was Sarge, I would laugh at him and not come over just because he did that. <laughs> it's like really, sure. So I'm gonna fine. come. O- I am gonna come over there next year, and you're gonna say we don't want you. Yeah. Like what? Really? Yeah. Um, but the oh, Hawks, Hawks may point. raise an interesting quite. I mean, what's interesting is we were talking about LeBron and the fact that his teams have won 17 straight Eastern Conference playoff series, which to me gets to the question of like the Atlanta Hawks have been held up like the Hawks and the Pacers get held up all the time as the examples of like the franchises the Sixers could have been if they had just played it straight and drafted Paul George in the mid first round and built their team with guys who are pretty good players but aren't really superstars. Well, take a look around. Like, what did that get them? It gets you blown out by a team with actual superstars in the playoffs every year. Is that what you want to be? I I don't I don't know. Me, no. And I will I will take the Pacers out of that conversation for 30 seconds only because they have made some deep runs with Paul George. They gave LeBron the the best challenge in the East of any. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. Like, I I don't think that you can sit around and, and and make your 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 level of acceptance or acceptability a team that can compete with LeBron James. I mean, I right. I just think that I understand that, but you know, the point is I that think, I agree with you. But I just think that you can't. I don't know that you can. I don't know that you can. Um, you know, I don't know that you have the team. I mean, I think the Warriors are kind of the counterfactual for people who now. Now, granted, they have a lot of top eight yeah. picks on their roster. Um, but they're kind of the counterfactual where you would say, well, nobody would have known Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, you know, Maurice Bates and uh, Andrew I'm, Bogut could combine to create a team that would knock LeBron off as, as right. you know, the best team in the NBA. They had to build it and see what would happen. And I think that, like, you know, people, you, you could you could maybe say the same thing about the Hawks and the Pacers. You know, that would be... I'll give you another... Again, give, I, and I'm with you. I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, I do... Because I think part of it is just kind of waterproofing the argument because that's kind of the opening that you give people when you hold you, you throw that as your standard and right. say well they you know they get blown out every time they play lebron well a lot of teams have gotten blown out every time they play lebron like you can't just lose in perpetuity and i think that's where like the narrative comes in that hinky wanted to lose in perpetuity until he could like get that transcendent superstar maybe it might be 20 years from now right. i don't think that was ever the no i don't know? either i don't either go ahead, john almost a better example than the Pacers, because we've seen that Paul George is a really good player. The Toronto Raptors, as good as they are, nobody thinks they have a prayer. Even if they beat the Heat. Yeah. And nobody that series thinks they have is 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. They might up there be delusional enough to think that they might win a game or two. They don't have a shot. And, and I, I think back to a team that I have referenced when we've talked about the Sixers a couple of times on this show. The last year before they went and got Andrew Bynum. Because, oh, my God, everybody said all at once, they were one win away from making the Eastern Conference Finals, which surely meant that they were going to go win it all. Yeah, Murph, Murph has written this before, that, that kind of thinking that just because you got to the second round, therefore the next logical step is to get to the third round or the championship round, and sports doesn't always work that way. Well, the NBA in particular doesn't yeah, work Yeah, exactly. Way. You, all three of us have said on this show a couple times in a couple of different ways how flawed the NBA is. Yeah. Yeah, but they've got superstars, and that gives them narrative, right. and that gives them drama, and that's. I'm just and they better hope that they better hope that the finals are the Cavaliers and the Warriors, because if not, yeah, nobody I, watches the Spurs, <laughs> irrespective of how good they are. I mean, I would, I would love to have. I mean, if oh, if I you would, could build but, 
the Spurs. I mean, but time and again we have seen that the country at large does not want the Spurs in yeah, the NBA think, Finals. I think we're. I think that's a completely separate thing from what I think. San Antonio is very happy with the money they're making off their Spurs for the last. 10 to 15 years. Oh, no, but the, the, the basketball purists do want the Spurs in the finals. The country at large that would rather but, watch the Warriors doesn't want the Spurs anywhere near it. Yeah, but, but I don't think it's – you're never building your team with a national scope in mind. I mean, these are these are. You local. should? No, I'm not saying you should. I'm just – it happens to be the – Mike, what do you think? I think that – I guess what I'm saying is what's the point? Like, okay, I get it. But, like, I don't think that – I think Sam Hinkie would love to build the Spurs. The, this, the, no, but, and, and if they were in a big market, it would make a difference, I think. My point is more, this is where the NBA is, that in fact everybody's hoping for uh, Warriors, Cav- uh, Warriors Cavs in the finals for reasons that go beyond the quality of the basketball. Yeah, I think it's a better story. The Spurs, look, I, I agree with both of you in the sense that no, I don't think most franchises, I mean, in the NBA, go into it saying, let's build a compelling team. They say, we want to build a winning team. That's fine. I think from a broader standpoint, maybe the league as a whole, the owners as an entity in a particular league want to build something that draws public interest because then they can sell things and make more money and all that sort of stuff. So in that regard, the networks and the owners and Adam Silver and everybody want Warriors versus Cavs. A a, a person who appreciates basketball would be just fine and dandy with Spurs, Cavs. Right. I'm just looking. I thought we were talking about this from the... Yeah. perspective of what the Philly what the Sixers should be doing to build their team. No, the Sixers should be trying to build the Spurs or, you know, do whatever they can to build a successful ba- basketball franchise. Um and that's my only point with the with the LeBron thing is that Hinky was shooting for the stars. He wasn't shooting to be uh he wasn't trying to be the Hawks. He looked at the Hawks and said that's not good enough. You know, because you're not going to get past a team with a LeBron or the next LeBron or the next two or three superstars. You know, you need to you need to have. I want to be the team that well, has those superstars. And in this market in particular, you know, and again, I don't know that the hinky thing works in every market. You know, I don't. Right. You know, in Boston, it might not a, work. A team that love a, t- a team that wants to go to NBA basketball and see a competitive team every year. That's fine. You know, maybe that doesn't work. You know, but Philadelphia is not that market. And the thing I would always, the thing I said early in the season, told that the the you know haters, I guess you could call them drinking their haterade uh, by all means go right ahead i said look at the difference between the attendance the years that they made the playoffs right. and snuck in and now and and you know in order to ca- in order to move the needle in this town you need to build a team that is so good it can make people care about them instead of the eagles and right. you know maybe that's not the case in cleveland maybe that's not the case in you know boston maybe that's not the case in new york um, although in New York, I probably would argue it, it it might be, except the Knicks are, you know, I mean, the Knicks are. Well, in New York, I would argue that the Yankees are the number one franchise. Knicks right. are two. The Knicks are two. Okay. The Giants and the Jets aren't even the, are, okay. aren't the top two. Yeah. But like, the Mets yeah. are third, probably. Now, but like the Heat, yeah. like you're not going to get, you know, no one's going to care about the Miami Heat unless they have got And to be honest, I mean, it's, you know? and, and, and right. you know. And no it, one's going to care about the Sixers as much as this town likes to convince itself that it's a basketball team. Right, and and the reason a plan like Hinkies would work in another city, quite frankly, is that there are plenty of other cities where there are other things to do. You know, Philadelphia, our identity and what we are is so tied up in sports because it's, you're not going to go to the beach, you know, nine or ten months out of the year. This isn't Miami. This isn't L.A. This isn't, uh, oh, you know, Phoenix where it's beautiful all the time, you know. 
We don't have that. We get sports. We got lousy weather in the winter, you know, and that's just it. Like, it's a blue-collar town that cares about its sports, and so give me good sports right now, and if you don't give me good sports right now, I'm going to punch you in the face. Well, it's like, and you're also not going right. to... See, in L.A., you can be the Sixers and know that when a Shaquille O'Neal becomes available, right. you can, you you can right. sign right. him, yes. and yep. that's how you get your championship. Right. Shaquille O'Neal is never coming to Philadelphia right. because it's just not... I mean. It's all supply and demand, you know, where uh, there's sports, there's enough players and enough roster sizes, enough lineup spots where the stars kind of naturally mm -hmm. matriculate to different corners of the globe. Whereas in the NBA, you've got like five to ten true transcendent players at any one time. And right. they all, they can all go to L.A. because there's two teams, New York because there's two teams. And, uh, you know, especially now that Brooklyn, especially now that the Nets are in Brooklyn, the, the Sixers just it doesn't you could build. You could build basketball heaven and put it under a roof and put it in South Philadelphia, and no one is ever going to come to Philadelphia because it just doesn't. No, it, Philadelphia does not move the needle. Right. You know, the only, the, the only reason the, why the, Cleveland the owner has, lives in New York for yeah. Yeah. the the only reason why Cleveland has one is because he's from there. That's right. Yeah, I agree. Right. And they drafted him to be. And again, that the only way they God, they drafted him right. Exactly. Right. He, exactly. He had unfinished, and he still left. He still left. Yeah. He was from there. They drafted him, and he still left because he went to want to go to Miami. And it, you know, Miami, these, these teams like San Antonio, again, like it, it's actually remarkable that they've convinced they convinced Lamarcus Aldridge to play. But you know, like Lamarcus Aldridge isn't necessarily a needle mover e either. Like no. I don't know that you're building your. They still want to get Kevin Durant. Put it that way. You yeah. Know? But they were able to get. I think they were able to get Aldridge was a guy who was a great player. A great player. Very much under the radar playing in Portland, so I think the appeal and, and maybe a maybe a unique personality in that the pitch that the Spurs would make to him, like you are the continuation of Tim Duncan, right, yes, works yeah. in a way. It may, you know, the Lakers right. coming saying come to L.A., but they had to work. build they had to build that scenario first right. to convince him to go. The only right. way the, the only way the, the Sixers are ever going to get a Marcus Aldridge to go there is because it is paying by, him a truckload. No, of money. is to build what San Antonio built is to get Tim Duncan and David Robinson and you know kind of build that culture that says, okay, now I want to go there. You right. know, I I just don't see any other way. Otherwise, you're just trapped in this cycle of overpaying flawed names to get people excited about your team, like Elton Brand and, um, you know, what's his name? Bynum. Like, there's, they already tried that way. They've tried that way. Yeah. In, you know, in infinity. Yeah. Right. You know, Larry Hughes, Chris Weber. I mean, that's, those Keith are the guys, those are the guys you have to, you know, be satisfied with if you're going to do this year to year thing. Rather than actually building, you know, trying to to move the demand curve essentially, and and make yourself a destination, and right. and put yourself on, you know, San Antonio is a perfect example. Actually, they they made San Antonio into a destination. Right. You know, you can't do that going year to year. You have to build it from the ground up. You know, it's, I mean, it's just like anything. You're just like building anything. You have to do it in a sustainable manner, and it's just not sustainable to like sign Josh Smith instead of uh, Brand that one year. Yeah. You know. Like, yep. Anyway, um, sorry to just room's be, getting hot again. It is sorry. So sorry should, to crush everybody. We should move on. Again. I got to write. Murph's got yeah. stuff to do. I got to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> we'll uh, talk to you all next week.